You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. What's up, everybody? We appreciate you joining us here. This is another episode of InsideCarolina.com's Coast to Coast podcast. We are back. We are back. We are back. What is good, everybody? I am Joey Powell here for InsideCarolina.com on a new, improved, extra guest edition of the Coast to Coast podcast. If you're watching us on YouTube, you can see that we have not three, but four-time, four-time, four-time windows on your YouTube screen because we've got an extra guest tonight. As usual with me, as always, Sherelle McMillan, Sean Moran, but we're bringing in the national basketball director for 24-7 Sports, Eric Bossy, live from Kansas City. I mean, y'all should have seen it before we started recording. The man had to wipe the rib sauce off of his face because I'm assuming everybody in Kansas City eats ribs all the time because uh, that's what I've been led to believe by, uh, by the hashtag media. Um, when we're not chasing tornadoes. When you're yes. not chasing tornadoes. Well played. Well played. Eric, how are you living, man? I'm doing great, you know, enjoying some time with you guys. I'm still getting paid to watch basketball for a living. You know, I'm... Living the dream right now. Does not suck for sure. Uh, Sean, how are you? I'm doing well. Uh, excited to be be back with the crew. I had to make a I had to make a barbecue joke because Sean uh, trolls Sherelle <laughs> and I on a regular basis whenever he's traveling. Uh, he sends us just random pictures in the middle of the day from these barbecue spots that he finds. Last week it was some off the beaten path place in Atlanta that he found. And he decided that Sherelle and I needed to know about it, and I hate him for it, but I love him all the same. <laughs> Sherelle, how are you, bud? I'm good. Uh, this is the pin ultimate episode on the porch. So lots of Ooh. memories flooding in. Man, you need, you uh, need a minute? You're going to be in uh, your fields? I'm, I'm good. I'm okay. I'll you're make gonna, it. You're going to write a Drake song for us? No, I'm, I'm good. I'll make it. Okay. All right. <laughs> well, as always, the Coast to Coast podcast is brought to you by Johnny T-Shirt. We love them. They love Inside Carolina. We want you to make sure you give them all of your business. Uh, JohnnyT-Shirt.com. We'll talk a little bit more about them later. But tonight, it's a big episode. Um, by the time you hear this, uh, the 24-7 final rankings of 2022 will have dropped. And as you guys know, Eric is kind of the, the grand Oz, the, uh, the Mr. Pooba, um, Mr. Uh, Mr. Know-it-all, just the guy has his hands in everything involved with um, 24-7's recruiting rankings. And he's a lot better at it than my description of it is. Eric, how do you guys get to uh, when you re-rank and, and your whole team comes together and, and there's so many different events and scholastic games and your team all speaks into this, kind of let our listeners and viewers know how does the process work when you guys are setting up your next set of rankings? Because you refresh them a couple of times over the course of the year. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a lot of moving parts, as you might imagine, because you've got myself, you've got Travis Branham, you've got Deshaun London, you've got Brandon Jenkins. We recently added Adam Finkelstein, our new director of scouting, into the mix. So you've got a lot of opinions, um, a lot of guys with varying experiences who have varying things that they look for in a player. So, you know, there's no tried and true formula. It's not like bacon cookies where you've got a recipe and you follow that or there's maybe a little bit thing, you know, it's, it's kind of changes from year to year, but the gist of it is what I like to do is I like, I like to get guys grouped together by position and then kind of sort them out, sort them out by position. And then we take a look at it and sort it nationally. And what I'll do is I'll get everyone's input kind of before we get going and kind of cultivate what I think looks like a good list based off of, positional rankings and what each person thinks, you know, who thinks someone should go up 20 spots. Who think we've got someone way over ranked who thinks, you know, this kid from California needs to move into the rankings, all that. I'll, I'll kind of do my best to put all that together, collate it. And then, and then I'll present it to the group and then we'll kind of just start going back and forth with, uh, you know, Travis may be like, no, no, no. And, you know, this guy needs to go up 10 more spots and Finkelstein would be like, no, you're crazy. And he's going down 10 spots, you know, and I, I get to play kind of the mediator on that. I do my best to um, uh, bring everybody involved, you know, and it's, it's something that 
it's it's tough because there's no magical formula. Um, it's part where are our guys today. It's part where do we think they'll be in the future. It's part ultimate upside. You know it, and it varies from class to class, and it, and it varies from player to player a little bit. And it's just a a feel and something that we're doing our best to perfect an imperfect science and give what we feel is a really good snapshot into where things stand today. So I'm going to be the, the absolute um, chaos agent here and ask what happens when you guys disagree, right? Do you, do, how, how quickly do you pull rank or how quickly does it defer to like a guy who has seen the player yeah. the most or how does that work? You know, that's, that's, that's a really good question. Um, you know, for instance, like we added Adam recently and he's been running events and a scouting service in new England for years. Right. So, you know, I'm, I'm probably going to defer to him a little bit on guys in new England because he's seen them quite a bit more than I have. And I think people would probably defer to me a little bit on someone in Kansas city or the Midwest or something like that, or that I've been seeing, you know, Brandon is based in Texas. He's got his finger on the pulse of those guys, you know, and he, he, he really doesn't like it if he gets overruled on something and that's good, right? We want that. We want good, healthy debate. We want different opinions in the room. We don't all want to be the same. So, you know, it's, 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 it's trial and error with all of that. And, you know, I'm not one to try and pull rank or anything like that. You know, this is, you know, believe it or not, this is this spring and summer is my 23rd year out on the road doing this stuff. So, so, you know, I've done a lot, I've seen a lot of things, but you know, I love, I love fresh opinions. I love fresh eyes. And what's the point of having these guys work with us if we're not going to, value their opinion, take their opinion into account. And, you know, if someone has something that they're really strong about and nobody else is really that strong about their, their feelings on that player, I'm, I'm going to go to the person who's making the most convincing case. You know, sometimes we're going to be right because of it. Sometimes we're going to be wrong, but it's, it's a learning process. And, you know, none of us is trying to get this wrong. I know that everyone's heart is in it and that these matter to everyone. So, you know, I want to do my best to enable the team to all feel like, their voice is heard and they've got a shot to get guys where they think they need to be. Yeah. I actually wanted to open the show and say something about, you know, the fact that we've got enough basketball knowledge here to fill a blue cup tonight. And I think it's, it's going to be fun going through not only Eric's expertise, but hearing Sean and Sherell talk about uh, how this relates to, you know, our audience who or our audience cares the most about is, which is North Carolina basketball. Sean, I, I want to ask you, we had talked a couple of times in various past podcasts about this class for Hubert Davis. Um, you know, Shaver's already on campus. You've got Washington. You've got Trimble. You've got Tyler Nickel. Sean, which of these guys do you feel like is is most prepared um, to kind of jump in and fill an immediate void? And then what I want to do is I'm going to come back and ask Eric a follow-up to that. I think, uh, you know, we, we talked a lot during the year about this question and with all the returners that UNC does have uh, the, you know, it's not as big of uh, a question because mm -hmm. for the most part, I'd say South Seth Trimble is the guy that, you know, can come in and, and play the most off the bench, you know, for a lot of the year, we were talking about him coming in in a, in a starting role uh, and kind of having a lot more, more pressure on his shoulders. I think this class is well suited uh, to come in as freshmen and kind of come along slowly uh, and kind of learn the ropes. I think, you know, Jalen Washington, when, when he was first offered, was the highest ranked player and maybe had the highest potential, but obviously a lot of, a lot of injuries and now, you know, some question marks about how healthy is he? Uh, but really Seth Trimble was kind of that explosiveness and athletic ability to get to the rim and, and give UNC a little, um, you know, a differentiator off the bench next season. I think one of the things that we've talked about on this show, Eric, is over the course of the year, uh, we, you know, as things changed, we realized that UNC was going to be bringing back a lot of their roster from this past season. Uh, you know, we had different expectations of how these recruits were going to fit uh, from the 22 class into Hubert Davis's system. I think now something that Sherelle's really hit on, and Sherelle, I'm going to come to you in a second, um, something that, that Sherelle really talked about in the past was how this class now could potentially give North Carolina a chance to actually start building depth again, as opposed to taking guys that they have to have come in and give you X amount of minutes and X amount of points in production. Eric, how do you see this class fitting with North Carolina from, uh, I guess, maybe a different perspective of, of trying to rebuild as opposed to needing three or four guys that have to come in and be saviors? 
Right. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot to take into account. One that you got to consider, yes, he was, had already been recruiting some of these guys from North Carolina, but when, when Roy Williams retired and, and Hubert took over, you know, it was late in the process for 2022 guys. And yeah, he'd been on some of these guys as an assistant, but we're coming out of COVID where you hadn't really been able to see these guys and stuff. So first, I think that for a first class, it's got to be stressed again that I think that he really, him and his staff really did a nice job in piecing these guys together. And I've kind of always felt that it's a good foundational class and one that you can build around in terms of, you know, maybe there's not too many guys that are going to come in right away and set the world on fire. And as you mentioned, you know, there's a lot less pressure on Seth Trimble now, Sean, than was originally going to be on him, right? Because he was going to be kind of that guy that was going to be tasked and charged with holding the things together and running the ship or at least helping RJ Davis do it. Um, now it's great. He's an additional ball handler, something that, you know, maybe they lacked this year and gives them a little bit more, a little more flexibility there. If we're talking pure positional need as the roster stands today, Tyler nickel probably fills the biggest need because theoretically there's all those minutes that opened up from Brady Manick being gone. You know, Dawson Garcia chose to transfer out the, the program. And I think Nichols slides into that stretch four. now, do I think he's ready to play those type of minutes? Probably not. You know, he, he needs time to develop into that, but just purely positionally, the guy with the most open path as things stand today towards playing time is nickel. Now, of course, we're going to see what happens with the transfer portal and things of that nature, but assuming they get somebody in the portal and I'm sure they will with some experience, it's such a luxury that, all these guys are going to have a chance to play, but none of them is really going to have pressure to come in and have to do anything more than just provide depth and quality minutes off the bench and, you know, a spark here or there. And I think that's, that's invaluable in today's game, you know, now will that be enough for these guys? <laughs> Cause sometimes that's not <laughs> enough, but theoretically in terms of long-term good for a program and building blocks and, in keeping what you've got established rolling, I really think this is a good foundational class and the type of class that, you know, two, three years down the road could be the nucleus of another team that's competing for ACC championships, competing to maybe go to a Final Four and things like that. So I'm going to steal one of Hubert Davis's March of 2022 words to say that, Eric, you have a lot of connectivity with Sean and Sherelle and I because you're going directly to where I'm getting ready to take Sherelle. And that Sherelle, how does that lack of pressure for this stat for for these this class coming in? How does that lack of pressure potentially help them, or at least help the individuals in the class, uh, maybe with their maturation or their improvement or certain things on their game? They're coming in with with kind of no expectations on them as individuals. Well, I think the biggest thing is they have someone to learn from, and it it would allow them, as we talked about in the past, to kind of develop into who they can be as players as probably sophomores and maybe as juniors. Uh, take Jalen Washington, for example. Uh, I think an issue in the past with him has been that he rushed, not rushed back, but he wanted to play and he wanted to make sure that he was seen and he wanted to do right by his teammates. And so maybe he played sometimes when he shouldn't have. At North Carolina next season, you know, I'm, I'm not going to say they don't need him, but they might not need him because they have Armando Baycott and they have – Dontre Styles and Puff Johnson and potentially a grad transfer to kind of handle stuff in the post. So he can come along and just, you know, get healthy. You know, that's the main thing with him is just getting healthy and being able to play basketball. Um, so they're, they're not counting on him really for anything. So I think that's positive for him. It allows him to grow slowly to get back into things and not rush. For Seth Trimble, you know, he has two lead guards who he can learn from. Um, you know, something that RJ Davis and Caleb Love didn't have when they got to North Carolina because of the kind of one and done train Carolina got on between Kobe White and then Cole Anthony um, and then Caleb and RJ. So he has somebody he can look to and, and kind of learn from. And uh, Sean talked about it. Eric talked about it, but I think he, he, he will be as important as anyone because uh, Ben has said it. If you look at North Carolina last season, what were they missing? They were missing that third, you know, kind of guard ball handler and he can be that in addition We've seen that Hubert Davis puts a, a huge premium on defense. And I think that's where Trimble can make an immediate contribution without really doing anything else. Um, so for those two, I, I think that's what it is with them. For Nickel, I, I think it's a little going to be a little bit tougher for him because he's such a confident kid 
that, you know, he could have Tyler Hansborough, Sean May, James Worthy, and Michael Jordan in front of him. He'd be like, why am I not playing? Because I'm as good as those guys, which you, you need some of that on your team. So I think for him, it'll just be an opportunity to, to integrate himself more into UNC and then to compete for playing time. Because um, if he doesn't, there's no path immediately, I would say, to like starters minutes for him. But uh, for him, he'd be like, okay, well, I'll come into practice and I'll try to dominate. And that's good because it, it builds the depth like you talked about and it allows him to grow as a player in practice and it helps Puff Johnson and it's going to help Dontre Styles. Um, so that's kind of not having that pressure to come in and play immediately. I think that's what it does for those three guys. Washington, a chance to just get healthy. Trimble, a chance to learn from two lead guards who didn't have the opportunity to learn from anyone. And then for Nickel to really get after it in practice and push Puff Johnson and Dontre Styles. All right. So before we get into talking about the 2022 class and their ranking specifically and kind of why they landed where they did, um, I'm going to start with you, Eric. I want you to give me one word that describes this 2022 class of signees for Hubert Davis. Wow. <laughs> I didn't know there was going to be a test. Um, <laughs> I, I, I just think I like foundation, you know, just mm. – foundation for, for the future and a building block. I, I like that. You know, it's, it's, they're the first group, so they've got to be kind of the foundation. Yeah. There's a, there's a through line there between what you've said before and that I, I I'll buy that wholeheartedly. Sean, what about you? One word, uh, solid, you know, there, there's, there's nobody that is, uh, Eric, Eric has a McDonald's all American shirt. There's nobody that was in that game, but there's players that can potentially, uh, I think make an impact in the ACC down the road. Yeah, Sherelle, you know it's coming to you, so you better have a really good word, man. I mean, like SAT level, just Roger's thesaurus needs to be burning after you say this. Uh, it's pretty simple. I was just going to say steady uh, because, they're. I mean, we all said the same thing. They're solid. They're, they're a good start. Um, we all think they can, can, can contribute um, in the next couple of years and be really important pieces for UNC. All right. Well, that, that works. I think all three answers are accurate in, in their own way, and I think they – they are pretty all-encompassing of, of each, you know, the collective as well as each individual player. All right, Eric, you want to talk about some rankings, man? What are you kind of, if you want to kind of give us who's who and, and where, you know, kind of what the, what you might project them for as the future and why those rankings mean what they mean with regard to 24-7's methodology. Sure. Um, you know, just run through the class. Seth Trimble is the highest ranked um, coming in at number 27 just outside of five-star territory. Uh, you know, he's explosive athlete. He can really get to the paint. He finds guys. He's, he's a tenacious on the ball defender. You know, the, the question and what kept him away from possibly being a five-star guy right on the cusp is that jump shot. You know, if he can prove to be a more reliable, more steady jump shooter, then the whole world's going to open up for him because defense won't be able to play off of him. And you'll just have to respect that much more with this game. Um, Jalen Washington, we tried not to have the injury impact his ranking any more than, than necessary. But, you know, we are talking about a guy that we've barely been able to see over the last couple of years. And it becomes really, really difficult to project because, you know, if he, if he comes back and, and he's A-OK and, and like he was never hurt, well, then where he is at number 58 is going to look could potentially look pretty low, right? But if he comes back and, and you know, is, is, is showing some struggles from not only that the injury, but just the layoff and everything else that's gone on the last couple of years, then, you know, it's it's possible that that 58 could be high. But I really wanted to make sure he was at, I, I believe, 47 headed in. And to me, it was important to make sure that he stayed in at least the 50 to 60 range and didn't take too much of a hit. I think people can understand a, a 10 spot or so slide, but other people moving around, new guys coming in, and people who were able to to play their senior season and, and make a final case for where they belong. It's it's always really tricky um, working with these guys in that aspect. And then with Tyler Nickel, you know, he's pretty much steady Eddie. He um, stayed just about where he was. Um, he comes in at number 78. I think he was at 76 before. So, I mean, essentially the exact same spot. And I think that type of ranking is pretty reflective and indicative of the things that we've already talked about regarding him and what we can expect from him and things going in. You know, I think uh, 
in his mind, he probably sees himself as a bit more of a three. I think in today's college game, he's probably going to be more of a stretch four and a guy who has to adjust to maybe doing some bumping and grinding at times with some bigger guys, but he's solid. And I think he's going to be tough. And I think shot making at the end of the day, especially when he gets to be an upperclassman is going to be super valuable. Awesome. Well, we appreciate that. And I think that most of our listeners kind of Guys, I, I'm going to ask Sean, Sherell, how do you guys feel? Because I feel like that's pretty much in line with what at least I expected based on, you know, guys that were playing, guys that were moving up. I think Eric did a good job of explaining, you know, when guys move around, you know, that matters. It's not just it's not just North Carolina guys that you guys are having to rank, right? There's there's other guys that are you know imp- improving and coming out of nowhere and ending up on the radar. So, uh, Sean, Sherell, you guys got have any questions you want to throw at Eric about that specific class and, the, and those rankings? Sure. Um, I'll go one, one, you know, I think rankings in general are much, much tougher than anybody could imagine, uh, especially, especially once you get outside of that. I mean, the top 25 is difficult in itself of moving guys a few spots, but once you really get out of that range, it can be extremely, extremely challenging. But Eric, the question for you, you know, this year uh, with COVID in the past and and how much that affected really this class uh, more so than, than others, but, you know, you can go back to when either Roy Williams or Hebert Davis offered some of these guys, say like a, a Cam Whitmore, for instance, or even even Seth Trimble. And at the time, they're in the in the hundreds just because they hadn't been out on the on the circuit a lot. And I'm sure you guys were hearing about them, but you just hadn't had the chances to to watch them. How how much more challenging was that in this year's class, knowing that there was kind of that break in a really key key point of time? Yeah, that, that was definitely challenging. You know, that was, it was challenging with the 2021 class. It's still going to be lingering a little bit in 23, although not as much. I think the bigger impact of COVID on 23 and 24 is just um, a lack of development with those guys, whereas they're a year behind. And also these guys are a bit behind where we would typically expect graduating high school seniors to be just because some got to play through the COVID, some didn't get to play at all. Some may have gotten to play, but it was like really loosey-goosey, loosely structured grassroots ball. Some did a lot of training or in the gym a lot, but only know how to play against cones and not live human beings. So there's, there's a lot to factor into that. Right. And so, yeah, it's, it's, it's difficult. It's always difficult. Um, You know, what we're doing in this job is we're taking an entire country of people and we're, getting it down to a a group of, you know, between the classes, basically a few hundred kids that if we didn't get it down to that group of kids, nobody would know who they're supposed to be watching. Right. You know, I'm not saying we're the be all end all, but you know, people go to the gym, they wouldn't know who to watch if they didn't have our lists. Right. So I think we do a pretty good job of of getting it down. There's, there's going to be mistakes. There's going to be some guy who we ranked in the one twenties that ends up going in the lottery or something like that. And maybe there'll be some things that we should have seen with it, but some that we couldn't have. And, you know, we're, we're operating with a little bit less evaluation on these guys, though, like I said, more than we got to see 2021. Um, and there's also in this is this class was hugely impacted, especially at the top by kids going to overtime elite. Um, Scoot Henderson, who in my mind would have ended up the number one player in the class, decided to graduate early and join the G League, you know. Amani Bates went to went to Memphis early. Jalen Dern went to Memphis early. You know, Shaden Sharp pulled the wool over Kentucky's eyes and showed up for a semester, cashed in on some NIL, and then bounced for the NBA. You know, add those guys into the class, and, and things are looking much different. You got the Thompson twins over and over time elite. You know, that would have been highly ranked guys. So it's it's been kind of an interesting class with with a lot of new stuff and, and a lot of information that we haven't had to account for in the past. So. You know, we're doing the best we can with it. I feel pretty good about the list. You know, I feel like we did something different, especially at the top. We've got Nick Smith, who's headed to Arkansas as our number one player. I feel really good about that one. You know, he's probably going to have some bumps and bruises as a freshman because he's not the strongest guy around. But long-term upside, I just see a lot of what he does that translates to the highest level. And it's something that we all felt good about as a group and we're all on board with, and, and we didn't care that no one else is doing it, you know, and, and no one else should care about who another service ranks at number one, but I feel good about the list. I feel, I feel good about where we've got the Carolina guys, you know, we'll, we'll see how that goes six months from now, but 
you know, it's, it's been fun and I'm certainly glad to have it done with it and move on to the next classes. It's, it's funny because um, I remember when Roy Williams offered Nick Smith, we were kind of like, who, where, <laughs> when, and now, you know, he finishes the class ranked number one. So Sean was like, oh, Roy knows talent still, you know, even in that class. Um, the other thing I thought was funny, Eric, and I, I'd love to see how you feel a year later. When we did this podcast a year ago, um, after Hubert Davis had been hired and everything, you were talking about how June was going to be crazy and how there's going to be guys who people loved or thought they loved <laughs> that, by, that by the end of the month, the coaches are going to be like, uh, we can't, we can't take this kid. Did you see, how, how did that turn out? Did you see a lot of that where guys who build up a reputation during COVID and, and during quarantine just couldn't play once they got out on the circuit? Yeah. Yeah. 1000%. Um, I definitely had specific conversations with coaches who, you know, I'm not going to throw any specific schools or players under the bus, but there were some guys that were ready to, and I, I remember I, I, we talked about, it. I, I remember saying that like, Hey, there's some guys out there that if they feel like they like a school, they better get that commitment out of the way because in two weeks from now, they're not going to be able to commit to those places. And there were, there were absolutely some of those, but there were, there were some of the opposites, you know, Cam Whitmore was mentioned early, you know, without those June periods, does that guy turn into a top 10 player? I mean, he'd still be the same player, but what we all think about him on right. this, right? You know, um, you know, Anthony Black, another guy who kind of comes out of nowhere that was hanging outside the, the top 100. You know, there's there's some guys that, you know, Dylan Mitchell uh, going to Texas. You know, that guy this time last year was hanging out in like the 130 range or something like that. You know, there's been some serious massive change. And, you know, there's probably a lot of schools that, you know, prior to June, Villanova would not have taken Cameron Whitmore. He would have been an afterthought for him. You know, they might've been looking elsewhere. And then they saw him play one day in DC and it's like, we got to have that guy as did, as did se several guys. So, you know, these, these June things were extra important for these guys because it was the first time that they'd ever seen these guys in person by and large. So it carried more significant impact than any live periods we've ever seen. And, you know, I think it is, hopefully taught those guys a little bit of a lesson to be a little more, uh, I guess, intentional with who they're offering and why they're offering. I don't mm -hmm. think it's happened yet, but, you know, to make, to make a long answer to an easy question complete. Yes. There were absolutely guys who, you know, walked away, wiping some sweat off their brow, like, whew, you know, <laughs> didn't have that guy going to the portal. Instead, they just signed some other kid who's probably going to end up in the portal. And from a Carolina perspective, a success story was Tyler Nickel, um, because yeah. during that first scholastic period, I think it was Father's Day, the entire staff went and saw him and he went for like 34 and hit six or seven threes. He had it offered 48 hours later and committed a couple months later. Yeah, I mean, perfect example, probably Justin Taylor would have probably been mm -hmm. more the, the Carolina target. Right. And they quickly pivoted to Tyler Nickel, although at the time everybody would have thought, Hey, Justin Taylor's, you know, the higher ranked player, the, the guy that they need to be on. And there was some head scratching. And if that would have been done without knowing that, Hey, these guys got to go watch them, you know, the, 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 the message boards would have been up in arms that they're going after the lower ranked player, but you know, we see how things have played out. Yeah. I distinctly remember last year having, you know, conversations about Justin Taylor, then all of a sudden it was all nickel, everything. And um, yeah, I think that's a great example of, of, of you guys showing how that, that summer live period can change a kid's entire trajectory of his career. Right. And, and I think a lot of times fans lose sight of that. Um, all right. Want to get away from the 22 class because, you know, I, 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 as much as I'd love to talk to E-Boss for the next three days, I think he's got other things to do. Um, let's get into the 23 class a little bit. All right. We, we've kind of talked 22 pretty healthily. Um, I'd love to talk about 23 and specifically, uh, a guy that made a lot of UNC fans uh, happy recently was Gigi Jackson. Eric, you know, I think a lot of the talk around Gigi is, yeah, five-star kid, amazing skill set, um, really, really high ceiling. Uh, I think some folks, detractors, will probably point to the overall talent level of this class. From your seat, give us your, I guess, I guess your, your once-over about Gigi Jackson and where you see him, you know, is the talent level of 23 really going to matter when you're talking about a kid of this caliber? Yeah. So there, there's a lot to unpack there, right? Um, let's start with just Gigi as a player. 
Absolutely a five-star prospect. Absolutely a guy in my mind that is in the conversation for the top player in the class. Um, he can run. He can play inside out a little bit. Um, you know, he's got a good baseline of skill that I think is really going to flourish. You know, he's, he's kind of in this in this weird thing where on his high school team, he probably had to play a little bit more interior-based because, you know, it's high school and you don't have as much size. And then when he gets out here in the summer, you know, there's there's sometimes where I liken to it, he's, he's got to feel a little bit like a, a pitcher who's given up a lot of home run balls because he just keeps going like this as the guards keep jacking up shots around him. You know what I mean? And just maybe not being featured quite as much as you might think a guy of his talent be. But, you know, that's, that's how it goes. Basketball's a guards game. Um, I said it before. If you were to go and watch college highlights of Jarrell Arthur at Kansas, I think that they would give a really good window into what I think to expect out of Gigi Jackson during his time in North Carolina. Now, love player comps. I, I love player I, I, comps. I probably, I, I probably could have done you guys a little bit more of a solid and done a little bit more hunting to find a more North Carolina specific one, and you know, not a guy that they had to play against during the 2008 final four, but you know, the way they move, the way they run. Um, I think Arthur's probably a little bit better shooter. Gigi's a little bit more athletic, a little bit more vertical pop, but I just think when you watch the inside outside ability, just to me watching Gigi, I'm like, wow, I feel like I'm transported back 15 or 16 years in time when I was watching Drell Arthur at South Oak Cliff high in, in Dallas. So, you know, look up YouTube highlights of him from, from college. I think he's a good example. Now you talk about the strength of the class. I've been pretty, I've been pretty open and honest about it. Um, This is quite possibly top to bottom, the weakest class I've ever seen. Now there's a lot that goes into that, you know, talent goes up, it goes down. There's good years. There's bad years. There's in the middle years. Um, This is definitely a year that under any circumstances probably would have been a little bit more of a down year, but we're talking about a group of kids that, their development has been severely stunted by Eric, factors. Eric, can I praise you for a second? I'm sorry to step on you. I don't praise you because you called that last year. I'm fairly certain we talked about that when you were on the show last year about how at some point this COVID time off was going yeah. to hurt somebody. And so yeah. I think, I, I just, again, just want to throw some some sprinkles your way and, and get some glitter all over you for that. Go ahead. Yeah, well, I, I appreciate that. I mean, I think it should be pretty obvious to anyone. I think people out there trying to deny the impact of that are – you know, just spinning their wheels on this. So there's a lot to go against. And, and, and I also, I feel bad sometimes when I talk about this, because this, this is no shot against the kids or anything like that. You know, the kids are the kids, the class is the class. Um, but, you know, not all number ones are created equal. And, you know, we've talked about, sure, I can't remember whether it was you or Ben that I was talking about, that it's almost like in golf, it almost needed to have like a handicap. Yeah, we're talking score, about it. So yeah. that, you know, people need to understand that like, you know, a number one in this class Okay, let's let's look at 2022. If all those guys who didn't leave the class were still in that class, the Amani Bates, the Thompson twins, Scoot Henderson, um, you know, Shaden Sharp, those guys, uh, Jay Z and Gorman, you know, whoever, you know, there were like seven legitimate five star type guys are still in that class. If we took the guys that we're discussing about potentially as number one in 2023, the Gigi Jacksons, the DJ Wagner's, guys like that. I'm not sure they would be a top 10 player in the class of 22 at full strength. So that's, that's, that's important to understand. Right. And, you know, I'll I'll tell you right now, 2024, it's not the greatest of classes either. Now there's tons of time for both of these classes to to make me look like an idiot. And they're both still going to produce a ton of pros. They're both still going to produce a ton of really good college players, but in terms of freshman impact, the class of 2023 I think people really need to temper their expectations, especially as it correlates to, hey, this guy's number two in the country. He should come in and score 15 points and grab eight rebounds a game. Like, that's what number two players be. Like, you know, that's that's just not how it is. And I hope I'm wrong. Like, I always want these guys to be better than projection. But I think in, in doing this job that it wouldn't be responsible to not explain that, you know, hey, this class isn't like – some other classes in the, in the past. 
Eric, uh, one 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 question. Just going back to to Gigi Jackson, since uh, you know for the longest time, Carolina had struggled getting, you know, kind of the the big time big time recruits or, or beating out some of uh, of their top competitors. Uh, when you when you have seen him, and when you kind of think of how he will be stepping onto the court in Chapel Hill, a, a big question mark has been around his shooting. I know he shot the ball a little bit better um, during AAU, but how do you see his shot right now? And, and how do you see that translating uh, in a year from now when he does get onto campus? Yeah. So me, I'm not concerned about his shot really all that much at all. Um, structurally to me, I think it looks pretty good. Um, it's a matter of game repetition, game situation repetitions, and also just uh, sometimes these young big guys, they, they think they can shoot it and they want to shoot it. So they, they get a little bit of feels like leather syndrome. They catch the ball at 18 to 20 feet and they got something that feels like leather in their hand. So they're going to let it fly. Right. Because, Hey, I got my touch. You know, we talked a little bit earlier, you know, like, you know, sometimes, you know, Rob Dillingham's that ain't always the worst. You know, those guys, those guys like to get their tugs, you know, like they get, they get their FGAs per game and, you know, that's just their game. That's, no, that's nothing against those guys. That's how they play. You know, that's what you sign up for if you're Gigi when you go play with those guys is you got to know that they're, they're going to take their shots. And there might be some times where the more viable play might be to go through Gigi. But, you know, that's just how those guys play. And you got to let them you got to let them rock. But um, I think in college, he's going to be taught the value of a good shot versus a shot just to shoot. There's a big difference between all of that. And I think as he learns a good shot, as he learns the speed of the college game, I think that, you know, is it going to be Ray Allen? No. Is he, is he going to be, you know, Carl Anthony Towns is, is a shooter? No. But he's going to be very, very respectable. And it is going to be something that I think as he moves on through his basketball career is a really important part of his game and a very valuable part of his game. Well, I'll, I'll let me jump in real quick. All right, Sean took a derivative of, of the question I was going to ask, but <laughs> I, I think one thing fans have to realize is that, you know, when you have someone with Gigi's pedigree, the likelihood that they are in Chapel Hill for more than one year is slim um, or in college for more than one year is slim. So understanding that he is still an ascending talent and that he hasn't really fully grown into himself yet, his best basketball won't be in Chapel Hill. I think that's a fair statement to say. So in his one year at UNC, what are the, the strengths that you think UNC staff should try to accentuate or, or highlight that Gigi has? Yeah, that youthful exuberance. You know, I think the guy's got an energy about him that he plays with that comes with youth and it comes with unspoiled youth. You know, I think sometimes one of the biggest issues that we have with these young players who been ranked highly and have been courted by shoe companies and this and that, or now today are being courted by NIL collectives or, or what have you is a little bit of an arrival on campus feeling that they've already made it and that they've already done it. Um, one of the things that I like about Gigi is I don't get that sense at all from him. Um, you know, it could be a bad read by me. Maybe that changes with time, but to me, he seems to be a pretty grounded kid. Um, his family seems to have done a, a pretty good job of, keeping a lot of outside influences that could distract him away from involvement. And that's, that's really, really key. So you know, if I'm Hubert Davis, I'm the Carolina staff, I'm tapping into the, the things that he doesn't know about yet and, and making sure that he doesn't learn about them. And just like, Hey man, you play hard, you use that energy, that exuberance you have, we're going to let you play through some mistakes. As long as you promise us that you're going to crash the glass, that you're going to try and block some shots that you're going to finish in transition. You're going to finish lobs and you're going to, and we'll give you opportunities to step out and take shots when they're available. As long as you promise us that you're going to play through the standards that we have set for you first. So, you know, you set a guideline of here's how we expect you to play. If you do that and you do it with energy, then we're going to give you freedom on top of that. And then I think you can really tap into a young player like that. And like you say, I agree with you, Cheryl. So many of these guys, their best basketball is not going to happen on a college campus. It's going to happen three, four, five, maybe even 10 years down the road. But the, the way you get the most out of them is to encourage their strengths, show them and teach them how those strengths can be um, used best in your system, and then let them know that, hey, if you do what I ask of you, 
I'm going to then in turn give you some freedom to do some of these things that you feel you need to do to showcase your game. And it'll be a win-win for all of us. Uh, I want to move on to another guy that's just rocketed up UNC's recruiting board. I think a lot of folks assumed that after Gigi Jackson was, was uh, committed to UNC that Hubert Davis and his staff were done. And then shortly thereafter, we start hearing rumblings of Matas Bazalis being a legit uh, option potentially for North Carolina. You know, I, I think Sherelle said it best recently that the real test will be, can UNC get him on campus for a visit? Um, so I want to, I want to ask Eric, do, have you heard anything about that recruitment uh, from your, you know, from your seat? Is there anything, is there anything in that, that, that should make UNC fans think North Carolina has a legitimate shot? I mean, I think North Carolina is North Carolina. They should feel like they have a legitimate shot with anyone. You know, they just landed a guy that's maybe the number one player in the country and they didn't exactly beat nobody to do it. You know, I think, you know, I think you could say Duke kind of threw in the towel on that one with some of the things they did. And now don't get me wrong. They're throwing in the towel was, was getting a couple other pretty good players. So, you know, it's not like they settled for, um, you know, some, some ready meals here or anything like that, <laughs> but you know, they, they, they out recruited some big dogs for that. You know, Hubert Davis went toe to toe with the, with the best recruiters in the country and got that one done. So to me, that says they should be able to get right in the mix with a guy like Matis. Now Matis, I, I, I would be lying if I said I had a great feel or a great pulse on what his recruitment is like right now. I don't think anybody really does. You know, I think that is one that, his family, he's got, a, he's got a trainer that he's really close with, are, are guiding him through this thing. You know, if you get him on campus, then, yeah, you've got a real shot. But, you know, until we find out what's going on, you know, he, he sure is a fun guy to talk about. You know, here's this 6'9", almost 6'10", dude who can handle the ball like, like a point guard. Like, to me, he's a, you know, you want player comparison? You know, Tony Kukoc. He's, he's like a young Ooh. Tony Kukoc to me, you know, big Euro baller with a ton of skill who is really hard for a, he's a guy that for coaches, not only at the high school, but the college level, it's going to be really hard for them because they're going to want to put him in a box and play him as a, a face up four or play him as a true small forward who doesn't really get to handle the ball a lot when that guy's going to need the ball in his, his hands to be the best player that he can be the best him because at his core, he's an off the dribble playmaker who isn't what we're used to seeing now. He needs to get a heck of a lot stronger. He needs to get way more consistent with his jump shot. You know, when it's on, he looks like he can win a three-point contest. And then he might go four games without making one. Um, he's, he's, he's very up and down. <laughs> he's going to be one that they de we debate pretty heavily in the old 24-7 staff because some of us have seen him be unbelievable and some of us have seen him be unbelievably bad. But, you know, he's certainly an exciting guy to talk about and one that, at least for right now, there's – there's no reason to not be discussing the possibility of him and, and how far down the road Carolina could get with him. I, I remember last year, uh, last June, I think we talked for something you did with IC and you were like, yeah, my Bozellus, he's, he's going to move into the top five. And our readership was kind of like, huh, what are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. And I think over the course of the year, they were able to see kind of everything that he is. Do you think he can be a, a primary facilitator in college? Um, probably no, but he could be a good secondary one. Um, mm. here's the key with him is you're going to have to figure out how to tell Amadis, bro, you're playing the four, but you're actually playing the point because that's really what's going to happen. He needs to go somewhere where they play four around one or, or five out motion or something where he's going to be able to handle and facilitate on the perimeter. But man, he's so good in that high post area we extended creating for other guys, but you know, would I want him running the point full time? Probably not. Um, that's, that's a, that's a dangerous area to get into, but you definitely got to give that guy, if you bring him in, you've got to give him some freedom to rock a little bit. You got to give him some freedom to do what he's going to do. And you got to know that, you know, you can't take the guy and be like, Hey, you need to go post up. That's just not going to be what he's going to do. He may post up some, but that's not going to be his preference. You know, he's going to want to play in space. And you got to figure out how's the best way to incorporate that into what you do. And do you have adjustments that you can make that can keep him happy? I think a lot of people have trouble trying to conceive what does a point forward look like? Because it's, it's, it's not something you typically see in college. 
Um, but if there's anybody that could take a concept and put it in your hands and let you feel it and touch it, it's Johnny T-shirt, right? Like they can take that concept from way out of left field that you want in a UNC garment and they can get it for you because that's Johnny T-shirt. That's how they roll. They're absolutely going to be a five-star recruit in your shopping needs for any UNC gear that you might want. And as I've said a thousand times before, if Johnny T-shirt don't have it, you don't need it. Uh, JohnnyT-shirt.com. Check them out. Be sure to show them some love. Inside Carolina premium subscribers know that they get that extra 10% off the top of Johnny T-shirts. Already great prices. If you're in town for any reason, go check them out right there on East Franklin Street in Chapel Hill or JohnnyT-shirt.com. Tell them the Coast to Coast sent you. We appreciate it. They love Inside Carolina. We love Johnny T-shirt. want you to love them too. Take a quick break from Eric's knowledge and Sean and Sherelle's wisdom to let some of the national guys run their advertisements in here. We'll be right back with more Coast to Coast podcast. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast this episode is brought to you by progressive insurance whether you love true crime or comedy celebrity interviews or news you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue and guess what now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the name your price tool from progressive it works just the way it sounds you tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. So um, something that we didn't talk about uh, before we kind of wrap the show up is is maybe how things are on the recruiting circuit with not only Hubert Davis and his staff, but also maybe what this past year did for them. Uh, Sean, you had something you want to ask Eric kind of in, in that realm? Yeah, I mean, I, I know Sherelle was out there the first weekend, but I'd love to hear Eric's take on this, but just in terms of, you know, what has changed or has anything changed in terms of how, just from a perception, uh, how UNC is now viewed in recruiting with with kind of that, uh, you know, really the last, last month, uh, two months of their, of their season? Yeah. Um, that's a really good question and a fair one. Cause I think if, if we're going to be blunt and 100% honest this time last year, there was a lot of questioning about Hubert Davis and the staff he put together and mm-hmm. were they going to be able to compete with the big boys? Would they be able to win? You know, I think, during the winter, there were still some questions about things. You know, I think uh, I took some heat from some Carolina fans for maybe suggesting that they were underachieving at this point based on talent level. Um, I certainly didn't see a national championship game run coming out of them, but I certainly saw something better than where they were in, in mid-January that they should be at. But, uh, you know, all the kudos in the world to Hubert Davis. You know, he took the doubt, took the questioning, um, was never, never totally nonplussed about it, unflappable. And now we've gone from a guy that nine months ago, hey, is this guy going to be able to cut it? Is he going to be able to get it done? And now we're talking about, okay, there's all these Titans that are out of the game now. We're looking for the next stars in the coaching realm. 
Carolina's coming off a national championship appearance. They've got all the things in place to maybe make another run next year. You know, maybe Hubert Davis, he just might be, and I wrote about this, who's to say he's not the next star or one of the next stars in the, in the coaching game. And based on early resume, um, how can you not put him in that conversation at this point? You know, he's, if your question was about recruiting, well, his 2023 class is answering any questions you might have about that with Wiltshire and Gigi so far. He's won. Uh, he's been able to get guys to see the wisdom of that college NBA. Should I come back? Should I not? And in a way that's not that he's not getting killed for on the recruiting trail, which is which is that's not an easy thing to do. <laughs> um you know, I think the guy, he's been he's been making all the right moves since January or so. And I'm I'm personally really excited to see what his future is. And just uh, you know, I didn't personally run across the UNC staff as much, so I didn't I didn't see the guys that they were locked in on. So I couldn't really speak to those kids and say, Hey, you know, what do you think about Carolina? But you know, I do talk to a lot of coaches and a lot of coaches who are maybe, you know, poo-pooing the Carolina staff, you know cracking some jokes, things like that. We're coming back and saying, man, you know, I, I got to give, I got to give those guys their credit. They got it done. And they look like they've set, they set the tenor, the tone for this thing to have a really long successful run and, and continue what Carolina basketball is all about. And, you know, I think as a Tar Heel fan, you should be super excited about that. Eric, I do want to ask um, how much in, in and again, this is from a national perspective. How much does playing Hubert Davis's style change their appeal to recruits? We've talked about it here. Uh, Sherelle and Sean have given great insight about that. But I'd love to hear, you know, from your national seat, like how much of a difference does it make to play a four-out one-in style that, you know, that runs a lot more NBA-style stuff than than maybe what Roy Williams did prior to Hubert Davis? Um, for those kids who are actually paying attention, which are <laughs> – a lot fewer and far between than, than the, the general fan thinks. And I think IC has always done a great job explaining that because, you know, I know Sherelle, Sean, all of us, how many kids we talked to who's speaking about a school that is number 311 in adjusted pace, which obviously is not <laughs> North Carolina, will say, oh, man, I love the way they get the ball up and down the court, right? <laughs> like, you know, it's just – but, you know, who does pay attention to that stuff? The trainers that are in these guys' ears. Mm. Their dads you know, mom, uncle, high school coach, whoever is guiding them through that. If they've got intelligent basketball people around them, they, they can see, they can see the nods to Carolina's history with how they play, but they can also see the nuances in the steps taking forward to the modern game and to the more free flowing positionless style basketball that they seem to be understanding, you know, the, the shooting. I'm mean, just look at the difference in how the three point shot was approached this year and things like that. You know, kids do notice that and they do notice guys playing all over the floor and they noticed freedom being given. And I think as the season went on, you saw more and more of that. You saw Hubert develop confidence and, you know, just experience. You know, you got you to get your butt kicked a couple of times to, to realize sometimes, oh, well, maybe this isn't going to work. You know, it seems like a great concept, but no, maybe I need to dial this down or, or back a little bit. But yeah, I think um, maybe the average 17 year old kid doesn't notice it quite as much as, as we might want to believe they do. But I do think that if they've got knowledgeable people around them, good basketball people around them, that they do see the differences between Hubert Davis's North Carolina and Roy Williams or Dean Smith or whoever's North Carolina and that there are certainly making a, a play for the future. You know, Carolina's always run, but, you know, I think some fans have grown frustrated with Roy's dedication to, you know, I'm going to play two posts, mm -hmm. you know, come, come, come hell or high water. And, you know, he, he had some, he had some tweaks with it during his time. You know, I, I thought the way he used Theo Pinson over the years was certainly an example of Roy being flexible and mm -hmm. being willing to adjust from what had worked for him. And, you know, while he was at Kansas, he did some things, you know, he moved to like playing three point cards at a time. So during time. So, you know, let's, let's not just say that Roy was completely stuck in his ways. And I think people know me, know me, I'm a pretty big, pretty big Roy Williams fanboy. I think he's a top five coach of all time. Um, but, you know, Hubert has definitely put his own spin on things 
And I do think that people will notice. And the proof is in the pudding at the end of the day. The more games you play on TV, the more big recruiting battles you win. That, that stuff kind of takes care of the rest of it. Well, uh, your your timing is, has been impeccable and your answers have been really insightful. So uh, try to leave ease out of here on a good note. Um, I would be remiss and would not be doing my job if I did not give you a chance to tell another stories from the road. Um, so before we get to that, Sean, Shrill, you guys got anything else for E-Boss before we let him go? No? Nope. All right. Well, Eric, it's, it's, it's stories from the road time. Uh, just to refresh, last year, you, know, you told that great story about Roy watching LeBron, knowing that he was never going to get LeBron because LeBron was never going to set foot on a college campus. Um, did you pick up anything this year that, you know, and again, you can scrub all names for, you know, for the safety of those involved. Or Is there anything that you picked up this past year or any other stories you want to share with us that, that our listeners would, would know, like to hear? I, I also told the story about Roy asking me, you know, if I had lost weight because I was sick and he wanted to know if you need to be worried about me or not. So that yeah. was, that was, that that was a fun one um, in, in a weird way. And I, I actually, I love Roy to death for that. Um, man. So I began my first life period by running over a dog. Oh, with my car. Oh yeah. Wow. And it was after, it was after several canceled flights and I'm finally leaving my hotel and I'm driving out of the hotel and I see this rabbit go flying across the street. Cause I was by like some condos. Oh, I've never seen a rabbit go running that fast in my life. And the next thing I know, I get this little white flash out of the corner of my eye. And with my Chevy Tahoe that I've been upgraded into, I hit a dog. So I immediately pulled over. I was only going like 15 or 20 miles an hour, but you know, that's an awfully big vehicle to be hitting a dog with. And I pull over no sign of the dog. I'm like, what the heck is going on here? I know I hit that thing. And like my, this sleep deprived already on the first day of the life period that I think I hit a dog, but I didn't. And I look and it's this little, I don't know. He must've been like, I don't know, like a border collie or something like that. You know, not a tiny dog, but not a big dog either. And I look and the dude's just bouncing around yapping at me. Like there's nothing going on and I'm going to, I'm trying to get to him to check on. And all he wants to do is play with me. And I finally get close to him and he just takes off running and yelping. And so I'm assuming that he's okay. I'm assuming I didn't kill a dog, but you know, I, I really thought I was going to have to call my kids and be like, Hey, so guess what daddy did today? He started the live period off by killing a dog or, you know, I was going to have to call my boss and say, yeah, you know, I was supposed to cover games tonight, but I had to inform somebody about me killing their dog with a Chevy Tahoe. So couldn't make games tonight. So long story short, hit a dog, thought I killed him. Luckily I didn't. And that was about the best thing that happened. Hey, week. They call the it the live period. It's called yes. the live period, not the not the just got hit by a Tahoe and am now dead period. Okay, yeah, it's, not, it's not the dead period, but yeah, that's um, you know, I've had some roadkill during my time, man, during the job, but I I never hit a dog before, and luckily the only dog I hit is like the, I mean he's like he's 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 like the toughest dog on the face of the planet. He's the he's right the Kimball Walker of dogs, right? Yeah. Like he just. Oh, Sherelle's got himself muted, and I know he just had a great one-liner, too. I, I was going to go to Duke, the Duke Cruz of dogs. Is what oh, all right. That <laughs> yeah. also works, yeah. Yeah, yeah, just, yeah, yeah. I mean, like, like, like goons look at that dog and go, like, yo, that dog is a <laughs> goon. That dude is about that life. Hey, look, it's an Anthony Mason reincarnate dog that your Tahoe absolutely wanted none of. Yeah, I will, yeah, I will yeah, give Aunt Mason yeah, love any chance I get. Yeah, yeah, Ben Wallace sees that dog in a dark alley. Ben Wallace sees the alley. <laughs> oh, man. Um, well, we appreciate that, Eric. And I'm glad to hear that uh, I, I can, I do not have to introduce you as noted dog runner over Eric Bossy. Um, <laughs> look, man, I appreciate the time. Uh, always love the insight. Love that we have this chance to sit down with you. By the time folks hear this, they will have seen the, um, the 24-7 rankings of the final rankings of the 2022 class. And you want to let us know when we can expect to see the uh, the next re-rank of the 23 class? Yeah, so we haven't done 2023 rankings in quite some time. We were set to release them in early April, and we're starting to work to them. And I said, you know what? Let's just see these guys play through the mm -hmm. month of April because it's been so long, and I'm glad we did because take that current ranking, crumple it up, throw it in the trash, pretend it <laughs> never existed, don't have any preconceived notions about what you might be getting, 
because the list that's going to come out the last week of May is going to look completely different than what it looks like today. You know, I, I could see as many as 25, 30 new, new players that aren't currently ranked being in the rankings. You know, we're going to see some guys that are barely in the top 100, possibly be in the top five, possibly be in the competition for the number one player in the country. It's going to be, man, it's, 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 it's going to be wild. <laughs> it's, it's, it's going to be one, but you know, look for that, you know, in about two weeks. Man, I see. You almost went into your old school wrestling promoter there about you want to be there in two weeks when Arn Anderson faces the Italian Stallion here at the Omni in Atlanta. Like that was that was well done, sir. Oh, yeah. There you exactly. go. Exactly. Yeah, I'm gonna snap into a slender gym when I'm done here. Well, Eric, we appreciate it, man. That's uh that's the second from the top rope I've heard since we started the show tonight. So I'm I'm thankful for you. As always, Sean Moran and Sherelle McMillan. You guys are the uh, the straw that stirs this delicious cocktail that we serve to Inside Carolina subscribers on a regular basis. So I appreciate you guys. Shout out to John Siegley for producing uh, and shout out to Johnny T-Shirt for sponsoring, as always. But I am just Joey Powell. And for Sean Moran, Sherelle McMillan, and 24-7 Sports' is Eric Bossy. this has been the Coast to Coast Podcast here on InsideCarolina.com. We'll talk at you soon. What's up, y'all? This is four-time NBA champ Andre Iguodala. Yo, and this is his best friend, the Ohio State legend, Evan Marcel Turner the first. Every Wednesday, we drop a new episode on our show, Point Four. We're talking basketball, business, and all the culture in between. From locker room stories to some basketball analysis from those who've been in the game. Now, it is a do-bet. Do average 29 and 11. God, what it take to be an all-star? A win. Subscribe to Point Forward, the podcast, so you don't miss a thing.